Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 84321. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our lead pastor continues with part four of our series, Hashtag Van Life. Church. Good to see everybody today. How y'all doing? Awesome, man. Great to have you in the house. Again, I want to welcome to all of our Faith Church family, all of our first-time guests. I want to welcome those who are watching online. As today, we wrap up a series we started a few weeks ago entitled Hashtag Van Life. And what it's about is we've taken the iconic symbol of a minivan that for years and years has really stood the test of time to recognize families. And we've incorporated it into this series to talk about our families, to talk about my family and your family and how, by decisions we make, we can have the family that God wants us to have. And so we've been looking at the minivan and com uh, comparing some of the components to our life. For example, week one, we talked about the seating chart, that when you read the New Testament, God has very specific places that he wants specific people to sit. And if we'll own our place in the minivan, if we'll own our seat, God, through that, can really help the family unit be strong. In week two, we talked about climate control. Now, while it's an incredible invention to be able to to change and monitor the heat and the, and the cold in your, in your minivan, you can do the same thing in your family. In fact, God, this is what we said, is that God wants us to be a thermostat and not just a thermometer. That God wants to use you and your family to change the climate of your home, to change what's going on and to make it stronger, to make it better. In fact, we talked specifically about marriage and, and parenting and some decisions we can make there. And then last week, Pastor Adam, he killed it. He brought a message talking about the brake pedal, that a lot of us, man, were racing at such a pace in life that it's not healthy and why we're afraid to miss out. The reality is sometimes we need to pump the brakes. Sometimes we need to slow down and we need to make sure that we're not sacrificing our peace because of our pace. Today, I want to conclude the series I'm excited about today. I want to conclude the series talking about cargo space. We talk about cargo space. Cargo space is that amount of space, the amount of storage room that you have. If you have a car, it's in your trunk. Or but the thing I love about minivans and SUVs is it's not restricted to just the trunk. I remember our first minivan, and now we've had SUVs for years and years, that when you go and you look at the cargo space advertised, they have two numbers. The first number is the amount of cubic feet that you have when the seats are up. And oh, baby, you can kick them seats down, and all of a sudden, you can carry all kind of stuff in the car. And we've used it. In fact, that was one of the primary reasons we got a larger car. We got our first minivan. We got our first SUV. It wasn't just because we have three kids. Obviously, they take up a lot of room, but we needed the room when we travel. We needed the cargo space to pack our luggage because I don't know about anybody else, but we have no idea how to pack light, <laughs> right? We bring more clean, clean clothes home than we wore. Like every time I say, I'm going to pack light, and I always overpack, and my wife is worse than I am. Come on, somebody. I'm throwing her under the bus because she's not in here. <laughs> And so, man, we load up, we load up, and we go on a trip. Man, my kids take blankets and pillows, and we pack the back of the truck, uh, trunk out with, uh, with all kinds of luggage. But I don't know about you guys, when we come home, we have a kind of a rule in my house 
that when we come home, I'm telling you, as soon as we pull in the driveway, man, we open up the hatch and we unload. No bathroom breaks. You can't go get anything to eat. We have to clean out the car. And it's not just the luggage. We got to get the Dorito bags off from underneath the seats. You got to move the 32-ounce cups that are all over. We clean it out. And then when you go in the house, now this is not really a rule. I encourage my kids, but they don't do it. My wife, thankfully, we're on the same page. When we get in our house, like, again, before we do anything else, like, I just can't get settled. Anybody else here A-type personality? Like, as soon as we get in the house and we get the car unloaded, we got to unload the luggage. So I'm telling you, before I do anything, I pull it out, put the dirty clothes away, put the clean clothes away, and I don't really feel relaxed until the luggage is empty back out in the garage. Come on, somebody. Whoo. There's medication for it, but I ain't taking it. <laughs> and some of you, man, you're totally the opposite. And this, this is not to tell you the way you're doing it wrong. It, I mean, it is. But some of you, I mean, your luggage, like, you'll think, well, we'll unload it later. And then later turns into the next day. And next day, you think, we got, I got clean clothes in the closet. And, like, your luggage from vacation is still in your car. And you went to the beach in June. Because, <laughs> like, you just take the cargo space and you just, right, you just pack it out. And, and that's okay, but here's really the challenge when you talk about cargo space. When you talk about cargo space inside of a vehicle, it's important that not just, I mean, it's there to use. Obviously, it's there to use. It's advertised. It's something that's a benefit. But a lot of people, they just don't put stuff in it short term. But a lot of people, they crowd their cargo space with stuff that really shouldn't be there, and they keep it there too long. And they fill that thing up. And here's, here's a challenge I want you to hear. And here's where we're going to go today when we talk about cargo spaces. When you abuse the cargo space, you hurt the vehicle. When you put too much stuff for too long in the cargo space of your vehicle, you may not know this. We're gonna get, we, you just don't get a message here. You get educated here. I just want you to know that. That when you keep too much weight, too much stuff, you crowd out your car, crowd up your car with all kinds of stuff. First of all, number one, you know it impacts the stability of your car. If you've got a bunch of weight in your car, it destabilizes the car. And not just the, uh, the stability, but the second thing it does is, is it impacts your gas mileage. Like if you're a penny pincher and you want to go as far as you can, then you want to be conscious about how much stuff you keep in the cargo space because the more weight inside of the car, the less, uh, less far you can travel based on the tank of gas because weight impacts gas mileage. And the last thing, and you may not realize this, but when you keep Christmas decorations, because some of you treat your trunk like a storage unit, like you got Christmas decorations and tools and clothes. When you keep stuff in there that doesn't belong, do you know it impacts the life of the car? Truly. Because your engine has to work harder. Your transmission has to work harder carrying that extra weight. Your suspension, your tires, all of it is impacted. Again, the greater the weight, the more it hurts the vehicle. And you say, what does that have to do with family? It's because many of us in this room, my family included, and I'm sure your family, a lot of us, we have the cargo space of our family and the cargo space of our heart. We have it cluttered up with stuff that goes in there that shouldn't go in there, and we keep it way too long, and it impacts us. Things like bitterness and unforgiveness and anger, offense. And these things that happen just typically in the life of a family where we get hurt, we get offended, we get angry, and man, we just carry that stuff. And I just want you to know something today. The same way that when you fill the cargo space of a car up, it impacts it. The same is true with the family. In fact, we would say it this way, that when you carry stuff too long, especially stuff that doesn't belong, your family will suffer. And so I just want to ask the question out of the gate, what is it that you are filling up the cargo space of your family with that doesn't belong? 
Because if we're honest, and I'm honest, and I was to tell you about my family, you'd have to tell me about yours. There is sometimes friction. There's sometimes tension between spouses, and, and we just ignore it, and we don't talk about it. There's sometimes disunity between siblings, and people are fighting, and people are angry at each other, and somebody does something to someone else. And, and I, I don't mean it has to be like on the road to divorce. I just mean it's not at the place that God wants it to be. And today, where I want to go for a few minutes is I just want to challenge you as I'm challenging myself to make sure we are cleaning out the cargo space of our family so we can have the family God wants us to have. Yeah. Amen. Y'all can make some noise here. Y'all, are, y'all, I just want you to know this. Listen, and you can't tell nobody because I'll lie and say I didn't say it. Third service is my favorite service to preach through. Honestly, man, y'all bring a little bit of energy. In, so don't let me down today. You got to make some noise. So. Today, what I want to do is I want to look at a story that's found in the Old Testament. It's about a, a, a guy by the name of King David. Now, many of you guys have a little bit of church background. You know, King David was a man who was anointed and appointed to be the king over God's people, the nation of Israel. Now, King David was a pretty special cat because he had the ability, unlike myself, I can barely deal with one wife. He had multiple wives, or he was crazy, one, had multiple wives. And because he had multiple wives, he had children from all of his wives. And the story we're going to look at today is about King David and a couple of his sons and one of his daughters. In fact, the daughter that's introduced in the story, her name is Tamar. And Tamar has a half-brother. It's it's one of the sons of King David. His name is Amnon. And Amnon looks at Tamar. Man, he's, man, hormones out of control, but wheels off. I mean, man, the family is going crazy. Amnon wants to sleep with his half-sister, Tamar. At this time, really something like that wasn't, uh, wasn't unheard of, but in order for it to happen, you should marry her. But instead of marrying her, he doesn't want to marry her. All he wants to do is sleep with her. All he wants to do is get with her. And so he hatches this plan to get her in his house. And the story is he, he, he feigns sick. He acts like he's ill. He calls her up on the phone and says, Hey, baby, why don't you, I mean, sister, hey, why don't you come bring me some chicken noodle soup? And, and come feed it to me. I'm too sick. I'm too weak. And she does it out of the generosity of her heart to help her brother. Tamar shows up helping her brother Amnon and gets there. And lo and behold, he's not sick, lures her into the bedroom and ends up raping his half-sister. So this is King David's son and daughter. Now, his brother, Absalom, which is the full brother of Tamar, he finds out what happens and he's irate. Like he can't believe what his brother did to his sister. And all he wants is justice. All he wants is is for somebody to do something about what's happened and, and the perfect person to do it. The person in the right place with the right power, with the right influence to do something about it is none other than their dad, the king of the nation of Israel. And he does nothing. He doesn't respond. He doesn't deal with the situation. He doesn't deal with the dysfunction in the family. And all of a sudden, it just starts to explode. And when you watch this story, and this is where we're going to go, we're going to move through about six chapters of Scripture and just a handful of verses. But I want you to see what happens in this story between King David, his two sons, Absalom and Abnon, and their daughter, Tamar. Watch this. It says, And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, He hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Now, I just want you to notice this because, again, today we're talking about the cargo space of your heart. We're talking about the capacity in your family and the things we hold on to that cause our families to be dysfunctional, the things we hold on to that cause our families to be disunified and to begin to break down. 
And I just want you to know that, that while you're looking at this saying, that's my family's nothing like that. I mean, that's crazy. A brother raped a sister. While you may not have, you know, while you may not have rape in your family, I'm just telling you, if I know anything about your family, because I know my family, families can be crazy. And if your family's crazy and they're not here, you can say amen, say amen. amen. So there's craziness. So it, there's this, let, let's just be honest, there's this levels of craziness. And you got some level of craziness in your home, but here's what I want you to notice out of the gate is there's this pink elephant in the room. Everybody knows that Tamar was raped. In fact, the Bible tells us at that time a virgin would wear these beautiful flowing robes as a way to advertise that they were available. Like, you know, look me up, right? I'm on couples.com. I'm on eHarmony. And because she was raped, because her purity was gone, she tore her robe, quit wearing makeup. She was a mess. I know it wasn't just Amnon and Absalom. No, you have to believe that this spread throughout the siblings. And King David, the king, the dad, he knows. And so everybody's aware of what's happened. But here's what I want you to notice again, is notice this. He spoke to nobody about it. Amnon didn't do anything with it. He just carried it. And a lot of times with conflict, we just ignore it and we think it's going to go away. I just want you to know that if you never deal with the conflict in your family, it will never get better on its own. Somebody will have to do something in order for things to change. And so all he knows is he has this, he has this bitterness that's welling up, his, this anger at his brother Amnon for what he did for his, to his sister Tamar. And here's the craziness about this to me is these three words of the next verse. Two years later. Like, we're not talking about weeks. We're not talking about months. He carried this chaos in his heart for two years. And not just him, but David and Amnon and Tamar and all the brothers and sisters. And I'm sure some other people got involved because it was on social media. You better believe it. And here's what happened. The same way I told you, when you carry too much stuff in the cargo space of your car, it affects the stability. The same is true with your family. When you carry hurt and unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, it begins to destabilize your family. A couple years, uh, beginning of this year, I bought a brand new car. I was excited. I finally got a car. I hadn't had a, real, a newer one in a while. And, uh, but about two months after I had it, we were getting into spring, and I realized I needed to do some landscaping in my yard. And I hate landscaping, but um, I'm cheaper than I am. I hate doing landscaping, so I didn't want to hire anybody. And so I went to Lowe's because I knew I needed some new mulch. The mulch I had was, you know, starting to run thin and starting to die. was starting to fade. So I found out that Lowe's had it on sale. It's out there in the parking lot. You can just go get what you need at night when no one's looking. But I decided to pay for mine. And uh, so it was on sale, three bags for $10. And I walked in and I, I figured out what I needed. And I walked in back to the cashier and I said, I need 60 bags of mulch. And so she rang me up, and I walked out. She said, you need to take this receipt. That young man out there, he's going to help you load up. And I walked out, and I drove my car over there, and I got out, and I said, listen, I need you to load up 60 bags of, oh, y'all aren't tracking, right? See, I didn't think of it either. Listen, you can't put 60 bags of mulch in a car. 60 bags of mulch is a pallet full of mulch. And so I'm looking like, I mean, it was going to take me all day to run them back and forth. I didn't want to put this mulch in my new car, but I had no choice. And we started loading this mulch up. It had rained, which means there was mulch juice flowing out of the bags into my car. There's nothing like a new car smell. And there's nothing worse than mulch juice. And man, I'm putting this stuff in, loading my car up. Literally, I filled my car about as, about as many bags as I could get in there about a thousand pounds worth of mulch in the back of my car. I couldn't get it all in there, so I called my daughter. I said, hey, babe, 
I, I, need a, I need a favor. I need you to come to Lowe's. And I didn't tell her what I needed because had I told her what I needed, she wouldn't have came. And so she came, and I put bags of malt juice in her car too, and we, and we drove them home. But here's the thing is when I'm, when I'm driving home, there's so much weight inside of my cargo. I'm telling you, I'm all over. You know, they see me rolling. Like, I mean, I'm like, when you move, like your whole car has got some soul in it now. Like, you know, it's kind of got this way because weight, too much weight destabilized the car. And the more your car is destabilized, the more likely you are to have an accident. And if you carry too much stuff in your heart, especially if you carry it too long and don't deal with it, it will destabilize your family and eventually destroy it. And so he carries this for two years and finally he's had enough. If dad won't do anything about it, I will. And at the end of two years, he plots to kill his brother Amnon. In fact, he has a family get-together. He calls a family reunion. And everybody shows up, and at the right moment, in the middle of this get-together, he kills his brother Amnon for revenge for what he did to his sister Tamar. Can you imagine the chaos in this family? And the word gets back to King David. Not only has his daughter been violated, but now his other son has been killed. And there's tension and struggle in this family and Absalom knows that he really did the wrong thing, and he goes on the run. And the Bible says it's been two years from the time Tamar was raped until he did something about it. Two years later, he finally does something. And watch this. Absalom fled, watch this, to his grandfather and stayed there in Gesher for three years. Do you notice how long this is taking place? And this isn't weird because this is like your family and it's like mine. That we get issues in our family, we don't deal with them, we just ignore them and they don't go away. Typically they get worse. And some of you in this room, you have issues in your family. Some of them has gone on not months, for years. Some of you have issues in your family that has gone on for generations. And there is tension and there is strife and there is issues in your marriage and there's issues between your brother and your sister. And some of you were upset at your parents because of the way they treated you and the way they weren't there for you. And I get it, sometimes that happens in family. The Bible says this has gone on now for a total of five years, but I want you to see in this verse, Absalom fled to his grandfather. Now, what do you think his grandfather said? Hey, Absalom, what's going on? Hey, man, what's the reason for the visit? Because you know you don't go see grandparents unless you need something, right? He's like, hey, man, what's going on? And all of a sudden, he's got to tell the story because this is what we do. We start pulling people on our side and telling our story to get people to feel the way we feel about the person we feel something about. And he's been there now for three years. And watch this. And King David now reconciled Amnon's death. His son's been dead three years. Tamar got raped five years ago. He's finally working through the emotions. And notice this. Absalom's been out of the country for three years. And it says, now King David longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. Like the tension and the disability has been mounting. They're divided. They're not getting along. Nobody's talking. Get-togethers are awkward. It's like a pink elephant in the room every time there's a family get-together. And the Bible says, finally, King David, he wants to be reconciled to his son. Do you know what King David did in order to reconcile the division between his family? King David did exactly what you often do and did exactly what I often do. Nothing. Even though he knew things were not right, he did nothing 
to make them right. And you say, well, well, what should we do? Like, this person hurt me, Pastor. Like, this, I can't believe what my brother did to me. You, you would never guess what my sister did. You would never believe what my parents did to me. Like, how do I fix that? How do I make it right? I just want you to know out of the gate, what you have to hear before you hear anything else is you just have to make a decision to clean out the cargo space of your heart if your ha- family is ever going to be healthy. But Jesus, he tells us what to do. Jesus gives us the input on how to deal with conflict in our family and how to manage it. Notice what he says in Matthew chapter 18. Every voice in this room, read this with me. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Now stop. A couple of things. First of all, you're saying, well, pastor, wait a minute. This is, this is to believers. We're talking about family. The point is still the same. The point's still the same because here's the thing is, he says, if another person sins against you, he's not saying like, hey, it might not happen, but just in case it does. He's saying not if it happens, but when it happens. Because you put people in close proximity to each other, and there's going to be tension. Notice the people that you don't get along with. You don't not get along with people that live far away from you. Like, if you have tension in your neighborhood, it's never with the guy that's three blocks away. It's with the guy that's right next door who lets his cat out, and the cat comes and poops on your front porch. Right? It's the guy, right, that lives right next door to you and he lets his vines grow over your fence and affects your fence and you finally cut the vines and then he sues you for cutting his tree. Right? Because it's proximity that creates friction. Sometimes there's tension in church. Do you know why? It's not because we're imperfect. We are. What happens is you show up in the church and you get close with people and it's inevitable when you are close with people that sometimes they hurt you because only the people can hurt you are people that are really close to you. And there is no place that that's going to happen more likely than not than in family because we are close. And when you get people in close proximity, there is friction. And the Bible says, so when that happens, when you have friction with someone else, when someone hurts you, when someone offends you, when you're mad at somebody, when you get angry at somebody, he doesn't say if it happens, but when it happens, when your spouse violates the marriage covenant, when your parents aren't there for you the way you thought they should be, when dad walks out on you. One of the craziest things I see, and it's every time I think I've seen it, it'll never happen again, it happens again. You have these families that are super close and everybody gets along and then mom dies and she's the last parent living and so the inheritance goes to the family and all of a sudden the family goes to hell in a handbasket because they're fighting over their share of the $5,000. Really? But tension happens, struggle happens, bitterness happens, frustration happens, but you just cannot continue to store that in your heart or in your family or it will destabilize it. And so Jesus, he gives us the answer of what to do when someone hurts us or offends us. And he says it right here. Everybody shout this word. Go. Jesus tells us to do what King David didn't do and what we often do not do. He says, don't stand there and wait for it to fix itself. Be proactive and go and work on your family. Make an effort to make it right. And notice the second word. He says, go. What's this next word? Oh, we ain't no good at that at all. We want it on social media. We want to tell everybody our side of the story. We want everybody, like, I just don't want to be mad at her. I want everybody in this side of the family mad at her. Come on, I wish somebody helped me today. And we start pushing it out there and getting it out there and getting people on our side. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't sit back and get people on your side. Be private about it and go to that person. And watch what he says. And point out the offense. Now, how many people know that's probably not going to go too well? But who said do this? Come on, y'all got to help me. Just so you know, this is Jesus. 
There are times Jesus says things that don't make sense to me, but I've learned to trust Jesus because he knows more than I know. And I believe that there's an anointing and a grace on God's word, which means if we'll obey God's word, he will bless us to see it fulfilled in a way we never could on our own. See, when God tells me to give, I think I have less, but God says, if you'll give, I'll bless more what you have left over because you obeyed me. I'm telling you, when you go to somebody and you work through a situation, you think I can never talk to them. They'll never listen to me. They'll never hear me out. It's just going to turn into an argument. But when you go in obedience to God's word, I believe he gives you a grace and the power of the Holy Spirit because the same way God wanted you reconciled to himself, he wants you reconciled to your family and he will give you the grace and the power to do it. I wish somebody would help me today. And he says this, he says, and if the other person listens and confesses it, which means they may not listen, but at least you were obedient. At least you made an effort to clear out the cargo space in your family. He says, watch this, if you'll do it, he says, you have won that person back. And you know why most of us won't go and win the person back? Here's why. It's because we're often more interested in winning fights than winning family. We are more about being right than being reconciled. We want to tell our story. We want people on our side, and we just want to be right. You, listen, you hurt me, and I'm not going to say I'm sorry because you can't fix it. Listen, I just want you, somebody, everybody know this today is while some people may not be able to fix what they've done to you, you can still offer forgiveness. They can't fix it, but you can forgive. And there's a power and a principle in that. And so he goes on in this story. So remember Absalom, he's now been on the run for three years. Dad's divided from son. Family has chaos and tension. Finally, the Bible says, then Joab, who is a general of King David, he gets involved. And he went to Geshur and he brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But notice this. But the king gave this order. Listen to how crazy this is. Remember, he missed his son. Listen to how he responds when his son comes home. Then the king gave this order. Absalom may go to his own house, but he must, he must never come into my presence. Like, I miss you, but not that bad. So Absalom did not see the king. Again, it's this awkward moment where he, he ran to a foreign country and, he, and, and Joab brings him home and King David says, hey, he might be living in my backyard, but I don't want to see him. You know how it is because it's been this way in my family too where you have a family get together and you're upset at somebody, you're mad at somebody and you're there but you don't talk to them. It's, it's that awkward thing like you run out of potato salad, you want some more potato salad but it's in the kitchen and the person is there by the potato salad so you don't eat potato salad that bad. <laughs> Never mind, I don't need any of that bad. That's what's going on. David is there and Absalom is there but they don't want to talk to each other. They don't really want to see each other. So Tamar gets raped, two years goes by. Absalom kills Amnon, who raped Tamar, and he goes on the run for three years. He finally gets brought home by Joab, and then notice this. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two more years. This is seven years of the family cargo space of David and his family being crowded with tension and anger and unforgiveness. and Nobody's resolving it. It's just slowly destabilizing this family and tearing it apart. But he never got to see the king. I hope you guys are just honest enough to say today that that's like my family. We've had issues like that. See, the thing I love about Scripture is it, it paints the story of real families dealing with real issues. Some people say that, you know, it was just a group of people that got together and made up stories. If you're going to make up a religious story, you want people to look perfect and look like they have it all together. 
What adds to the authenticity of Scripture, again, is real people living real life, which King David, he's like a, he's like a real man, dealing with real issues, with real tension in his family. And he's wrestling with this, trying to figure it out, and Absalom's divided, and King David's divided, and Amnon's dead, and Tamar's been raped, and everybody's involved. And it not only destabilizes the family, but one of the things I said earlier to you, listen, listen, divided families can't go the distance. Remember when you said, I do, and you meant it forever? Divided families can't go the distance. You'll never make it to the very end if you're divided. Your family can't make it. You can't sustain living life and doing life together if there's tension and unforgiveness crowding up the cargo space of your family. And so Absalom, he reaches his end. He's so frustrated with his dad. He knows he handled this wrong but because nobody's fixing the issue. Nobody's dealing with the pink elephant in the room. Finally, Absalom hatches a plan to stab his dad in the back. And it just keeps getting worse. Because his dad is king, Absalom starts drawing the affection of the nation of Israel to himself and away from his dad. And eventually people want him to be king instead of King David. In fact, the Bible says this, soon many others joined Absalom in the conspiracy gain momentum. Do you know what he was doing? He was standing out at the gate and he was telling his side of the story. He was standing out there and he was drawing sides. And we do the same thing. And I want you to notice this if you're taking notes. Anytime there are sides, people choose a side. Grandma wasn't even involved in it, but she's going to pick someone's side. Your brother, he didn't have anything to do with the fight between your sisters, but now he knows and he's going to pick a side. And this is exactly what happened in the nation of Israel. People started picking sides and choosing sides and, and who was right and who was wrong. You say, Pastor, well, what are we supposed to do? Like, there are two sides. There are two sides, but I want you to know something. Instead of it being brother against brother or wife against husband or uncle against nephew, what it has to be is we all have to be on the same team and we got to fight the trouble. We got to fight against the unforgiveness. We got to fight against the bitterness. It has to be husband and wife versus the issue. It has to be two brothers in arm against the issue. Anytime you get two people on opposing sides, hear me, people are going to choose one side or the other. And anytime they choose a side, somebody's got to lose. And most of the time, it's everybody who loses. So it's not just the stability of your family that's at stake. It's not just about how far you can make it. Ultimately, you're putting the life of your family on the line. See, what's craziest about this story, like it just, it almost keeps getting like worse, worse, and you think it can't get any, any worse. So many people get on King Absalom's side. He becomes a king now. King David is on the run. He's afraid for his life. And so these advisors come to Absalom and say, listen, what you need to do to finish this thing off is you need to build an army and you need to chase after King David and you need to kill him and the group of people with him. And so he does exactly that. And he runs after King David and, and the hope is that he's going to kill his dad and he's going he's to have the throne. And this all happened because of conflict and family that just got out of control because nobody dealt with it. And the Bible says, finally, these two armies clash out in the wilderness. The army that King Absalom gathered to run after David and David and his mighty men that are with him, they clash in the desert and notice this. And the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. I want you all to read this with me. And there was a great slaughter that day and 20,000 men laid down their lives. For what? For what? What did 20,000 men die for? Was there a great cause they were fighting for? Like, were they fighting for the freedom of another nation? Were they fighting injustice? Were they fighting for God to move the gospel forward? No, they were fighting because they took sides on who's right and who's wrong. 
And anytime you have fighting and conflict in your family and people take sides, it will cost you the life of your family. And you will lose fighting for something that's never worth it. And you will lose something that you can never get back. And 20,000 men died in the wilderness. Again, anytime there are sides, people will choose a side. And anytime there are sides, someone has to lose. What's going on in your family? What's the conflict that you're holding on to? What's the unforgiveness? What's the offense where someone hurts you, someone did something to you, someone did something to your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, and you're picking sides and there's tension. Listen, someone's got to deal with it. Someone's got to tackle this issue because there will come a time that you will regret not being more proactive. So you fast forward to the end of this story and in the battle between King David, who is now on the run, and Absalom, who has taken the throne of his father, the two armies clashing where 20,000 men died. Do you know who else died in that battle? Absalom. So now David not only has a raped daughter, a murdered son, now he has a son that's also been killed in battle. All because of family conflict. And it didn't just stay contained because it never does. It bled into the entire nation of Israel until everybody took up sides, everybody picked an army. And when it was all said and done, King David looks back over seven, eight, nine years of family conflict. And he's so broken. Like, he's like, man, how, how did this happen? How did this spin out of control? How did we get here? And he's mourning the loss of his son Absalom. I mean, he's already buried his son Amnon. He's already lost the, the virginity and purity of his daughter Tamar. And now Absalom's gone too. And the Bible says at the end of this story, the king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And he went and he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. See, he missed it here. As he's looking over, looking at the chaos that came from the conflict that he didn't deal with. The issue wasn't that he should have died instead. The issue is that he should have done something. Someone needs to do something about the conflict in your family before it's too late. My hope today for you and for me, unlike King David, is this. Don't wait until it's too late to work on fixing your family. See, we talk about God's favor and God's grace and God's blessing. You know, the first institution that God put in place wasn't the church, it was the family. When you have a healthy marriage, when things are right with your kids, when you're getting along in your family, you know you're walking in the favor of God. And when things fall out of place and conflict comes and tension arises, and it's going to happen because when you get people in close proximity, friction happens. It's going to happen, not if, but when. But when it happens, Jesus said, go to them and confront them and talk to them and work it out. And King David waited until it was too late. And his only option was to weep and mourn the loss of his family there will come a time that it'll be too late. I have my own family and my wife has her family and like you, we have tension and we have issues. You know, we grew up, my mom's side of the family, we grew up probably like some of you, man, really close. Do you ever have the family like you always do the same thing with every year? Every summer we had a family reunion, every Christmas. I mean, we were together like 
uh, my mom's brothers and sisters and their kids and some of their kids. And we all got together at grandma and grandpa's house. And, and every Christmas Eve, we were together. And we'd get together on Thanksgiving, sometimes New Year's. And we were a great family. And probably like your family, do you have that person in your family kind of is like the glue holds it all together? Well, my grandmother passed away. And we just weren't the same family. We didn't have problems, but we just didn't get together like we used to. And somewhere in the middle of all of us not being as close as we once were, I wasn't there this night, so I don't know the whole story. And it's almost irrelevant. But somehow there almost broke out a physical fist fight between my brother and my mom's brother, an uncle against a nephew in the front yard about some foolishness about who his daughter was dating. By the way, alcohol was involved, which always makes things worse. So get the picture. My family, who's always been close, now an uncle and a nephew is in the front yard about to have a physical altercation about a conversation about who this other boy that his daughter's dating would win in a fight. That's what the fight was about. And it got so chaotic that my uncle stormed away and didn't just ruin that night. From there on out, the family just disintegrated because nobody did anything about it. And my mom, who's just a peacemaker, like, remember my mom's just a good lady, really lost a large part of her family because they've never seen each other. Literally, she would say, you know, hey, I seen, I seen Uncle Phil. That was his name. I seen Uncle Phil in the grocery store today. We said hi for a few minutes. Like, they, they grew up close. But nobody wanted to deal with the issue. Nobody wanted to sit down and talk. Nobody wanted to confront it. And it never got better. You cannot wish it away. You've got to deal with issues with God's grace. So I'd hear every now and then about how they seen each other, but they didn't really talk. About two years ago, the youngest brother, my uncle, Uncle Jerry, my youngest brother, he was like the, really the peacemaker of the family as far as he wasn't involved in the conflict, but he was always trying to work both sides, trying to get them together. Nobody wanted to deal with it. And then out of the blue, my Uncle Jerry, something happened with his liver, and literally he passed away pretty quick. Like the only guy trying to fix it, being proactive. But it wasn't his battle. He couldn't fight it, and he couldn't get them together. And then last year, my Uncle Phil, the one who almost fought my brother in the front yard, all this chaos came from. Out walking one day, felt a pain in his side, thought it was whatever, went and got it checked. He had cancer. He's gone about three weeks. I can tell you right now, they waited until it was too late to try to fix it. I can tell you if you talk to my mom, while she, you know, I, I think she made some effort, I can tell you all of them probably wish they would have done more before it was too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until it's too late. As we close this series today, I want to give you three questions. As I put these questions up, you might immediately know the answer. If not, I want you to think about it this week. I want you to pray about it this week. Here are the three questions as we close this series. What weight is causing stability issues in your family? Is there tension between you and your husband? Is there tension between you and your wife? Is there something going on with your brothers? Is there something going on with your parents? What's the thing that's the pink elephant in, the, in your family? What's the stuff you're carrying? Who are you mad at? Who's upset at you? Who's offended at someone else in your family? What's the weight that's destabilizing your family? Number two, who do you need to go to? Notice I didn't say who needs to go to you because Jesus said you go. Who do you need to go to? 
Who do you need to have a hard conversation with? Who do you need to send a text by and say, hey, let's get together and have coffee? Hey, let's, let's get together and let's chat. They, you say, well, they won't see me. You don't know. And if they don't, at least you try. The Bible says in Romans, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. So if you did the best you could do and nothing happened, then you can rest your head at the end of your life and say, I tried. But God forbid you stand weeping at the destruction of your family saying, I wish I'd have done something sooner because it'll be too late. Who do you need to go to? Last question. What is the future of your family if you continued to crowd it with unresolved issues? What's your family going to look like in a week, in a month, in a year, in five? If you don't deal with this stuff, what's the future of your family look like? Because the only way it'll get better is if someone gets proactive. I'll pray for you guys. Father, God, I pray across this room, Lord, I know that we all have families and we all face challenges and frictions and difficulties. God, there's people that upset us and hurt us and take advantage of us. But Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that God, you will give us the resolve to be proactive, God, to heal what's broken, God, to mend what's been destroyed. God, help us to pull our family back together while it's falling apart. God, I pray, speak to every person's heart in this room. God, to be aware of what's in their cargo space. God, to know who it is they need to go to. And I pray that, God, you will give them a preferred future over what's surely to come if they don't take action. Lord, I pray with your grace and with your strength, God, help us see resolution. And Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Listen, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just one more minute. I want you to know all across this room that God, he promises to give us grace and we need it. The Bible says individually we are separated from a God who loves us because of our sin, because of our choices, because of the life we've chosen to live outside of God. We're lost. And there's nothing we can do to reach heaven, but the Bible says the good news is that God reached down and met us through his son Jesus, that God offers us grace and he offers us forgiveness and he offers us a brand new beginning and all it takes in return is just faith to put your trust in him and say yes. So all across this room, if you're here and you've never said yes to God's grace, if you've never said yes, say, God, forgive me. If you'll whisper those words, God, meet me where I am. God, forgive me. I want you to know he'll meet you right where you are and he'll forgive you. And so I just wanna give you a moment. If you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, you can whisper that prayer. You can ask him to forgive you and he will. And not just individuals, but here corporately, again, for your family. I believe you can pray that same prayer, God, save us. And I believe God will hear that prayer and God will pour out grace. If you're carrying hurt and unforgiveness and bitterness towards a family member, now would be a great opportunity for you to let it go and ask God to heal you. So Father, I thank you for grace. I thank you for new beginnings. I thank you for saving people. And I thank you for restoring families. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen.